Welcome to People from the Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome, everyone, to People from the Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce Butler, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network, and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. On today's show, our guest is Logan Regis, a licensing coordinator based in New Jersey. She got her start in the music business as an intern for RCA in their TV, film, soundtrack licensing department. Since graduating from NYU in 2019, she has occupied various roles from PROs to small labels and now works with the National Football League. Logan, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, thank you for coming on. And I mean, look, I'm not even gonna try to hide it. I'm a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan, born and raised in Pittsburgh, as some of my listeners may have heard. So the opportunity to interview someone from the program that works with the NFL, the pleasure is all mine. Okay, well, uh, that's great. Uh, Steelers, um, I, I've i heard of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> But, um, you know, I'm from South Jersey. So, you know, I was raised an Eagle. And I think that's pretty much how I'm going to be going out. But, um, but I respect people from all walks of life and all <laughs> people who enjoy various teams. But yeah, yeah, thank you, you for having me. This is fun. Yeah, you know, what's funny about that, too, is, and I think you can, you agree with this. There is no like, real Steelers, Eagles rivalry since both teams are in the state of PA. I think I don't think there's like a lot of animosity. We don't play each other enough. I like to see the Eagles doing well. I have no problem with the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. The only time I don't want to see the Eagles doing well is when they're playing the Steelers. I, I think the feeling's kind of mutual. Oh, well, yeah, like I that's true. I haven't really heard of too much like beef between the two teams you know which is interesting because i do forget that there are two teams in pennsylvania but yeah i don't think i don't think we really have too much animosity between the two teams so that's nice no 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 even though logan one team you know is doing extremely well now they have a couple rings and there's also another team that has six super bowls that would be the one that i root for just i just wanted to put that out there for the listeners so everyone knows Okay. Well, I don't know who is who. I mean, I know we got a couple of rings, but I just know, you know, we had a legendary win a few years back when I was a student yes, at do. NYU. And, yes, you, you know, do. we went again last summer or last um, February, I want to say. So, I mean, it's all great. And there, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of A-list celebrity people who come out here, you know, for the games and stuff like that. And, all that jazz and apparently we did really well in the draft i didn't really unfortunately follow too much of that but um but yeah no it's, it's really exciting and things are we're heading into the preseason so it's really exciting yes definitely and you do have that historic win against the patriots so all right so we, we talked our football let's get into the nitty-gritty conversation on why people are here to talk about your journey to the program to to where you're at right now so first question Tell me about your journey to the NYU Music Business Program. How did you get there? Oh, yeah. I think I might have put this on my admissions essay. But um, basically, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I mean, I always had an interest in the relationship between film and TV. 
And I know I wanted to be the person responsible for coordinating soundtracks for TV and film, et cetera, et cetera. But for the longest, I didn't know what that job title was. Nobody told me, I was never able to figure it out. And it wasn't until I got, after I got my first master's, which I got my first master's at Syracuse in 2014. So it wasn't until after then that I figured out it was called a music supervisor. I was like, oh, okay. I think one of my professors at the time had told me, I'm like, I wish I knew this like 10 years earlier so I could maybe be more <laughs> focused in my studies and what direction I'm going to go in. But, um, but yeah, my first master's is in TV, radio and film. And it was a great one year intensive program, but it didn't give me a lot of the music industry knowledge background. and. I remember looking online at all the different internships that were available and they all require college credit. I'm like, well, that's great because I just graduated. And had I known about this again, while I was still in school, I would have gone for it, but I wasn't aware. So I spent a couple of years, you know, temping and doing, you know, different jobs, just, you know, to get biased people like freshly graduated people do. And also, you know, I did local radio just to make sure that I was still somehow connected to the industry. But ultimately it came down as like, I, the only way I'm really going to be able to get my foot in the door is if I go back to school because, you know, all these opportunities require college credit and I wouldn't mind going back to school and getting another degree. And I had done my research and I found out about NYU and, um, you know, Syracuse has a music business program too, but they only offered it at the undergraduate level. It wasn't um, a grad program. I don't know if they changed that yet, the Bandier Mm -hmm. program, but at the time it wasn't. So Yeah, I um, applied to NYU uh, late, um, I want to say like early 2017, I want to say, like, I think it was January 2017, I applied. And I kind of applied, you know, thinking that I wouldn't get in because I'm like, you know, NYU has a particular caliber of student and I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. And I applied and I also liked the fact that it didn't require the GRE because I did not want to take that again. I had done it a couple of times and I just mm-hmm. didn't want to do it all over again. And I, my scores were still good because they, you know, expired. They have like a five year shelf life, but I don't think it would have been good enough. So that was a big, you know, plus too, that I didn't have to take any testing. So I applied and just for the heck of it, I was like, you know, it's probably not going to work out, but I'm just going right. to, you know, see see what happens. And then by some miracle, you know, I found out, I think like the next month or so that I got in and I honestly blew my mind because I was just completely, my mind was set on not getting in. I was like, this is never going to happen, but it did. And, um, it came at an interesting time because I had just accepted a job, like my first adult job, you know, regular full time with great benefits. I was working at a local university and I'm like, okay, so the moment I get a really good job is when I get into the school. (laughs) And now I have to make this decision on whether or not I stay or whether or not I decide to make the plunge and accept the, you know, make, accept the admissions decision. And they didn't allow you to defer. Maybe that's changed now. I don't know. But you know, one back in 2017, they didn't give you that option. So I would have had to deny and then reapply. And I just remember they only gave you like two weeks to decide. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, this is a huge decision. I guess this is what being an adult is. I don't know. I was like seeking so much advice from family and friends and people that went to my church. It's like, I really don't know what the right decision is. And ultimately it came down to really one question and it would be, the question was really, would I regret not going? Like if I said mm. no, would I regret it? But also if I said no and reapplied and then was denied the second time, would that like really, really just 
um, have a, a detrimental impact on me? And the answer to that was yes. I just thought it was too risky to say no and try again later. I don't think they would have denied me a second time, but I just didn't want to risk it. And I was like, well, it's do or die. So I decided to go and I sold my car, which my first car that I had, I sold it and moved to Harlem mm. in 2017 of August. And that's how, yeah, that's how it started. Wow. That's a great journey. You know, I do want to dig into something. So looking at your experience, I mean, you really did a lot of internships that were music related, even before the program and you were involved in music, kind of like myself doing radio and colleges and that type of thing. Oh, yeah. What was it that made you think you wouldn't get into the program with kind of all of the, the kind of entrepreneurial experiences that you were doing just on your own, just to go get experience? I mean, that is almost like exactly what the program is looking for. So I'm curious as to why you thought you wouldn't get in, particularly with your, with your educational background and, and the great education that you've gotten. Yeah, honestly, I, I think it's just because, you know, when I hear the name NYU, I have associated with that a very particular kind of student. And, you know, like, you know, me as a student up until that point, I had always been, you know, maybe slightly above average. And I was like, you know, that might have been fine. But I was like, the NYU just really, I thought, required like, you know, top, you know, 10 percentile and you know, people who could have gone Ivy League or maybe did, but decided to go to NYU or something like that. And so it really was just a mental thing for me. I just had this image. I don't really know where it came from, just of, you know, the kind of student that I thought they were looking for. And I just didn't think that was me. So that's really nice to hear you say that, because that's not at all what I thought at the time. <laughs> oh, okay. No, that that makes sense. So, you know, you get into the program as you go through the program. You know, getting your master's. I obviously also went to the went to the master's program, so we have that in common. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite class from the program, and why was it your favorite class? Hmm. So, let's see. I will say that the one of my favorite classes that I took wasn't even technically for the job that I wanted. It was a class that Michelle, Michelle McDevitt taught her uh, promotions and publicities. I really liked that class. Yeah. Shout out to Michelle. She's a very good friend. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. didn't like, you know, it didn't have anything at all to do with the field I was getting into or was trying to get into, but I just, I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. I liked the way she taught it. So, and I actually did from what I can recall, I did pretty well in it. So I really enjoyed that. I also, liked the i forget the name of the class but we you know spank taught the class in brazil and rio and i really liked that i really liked opportunities to travel which is one of the another reason why i applied to the program is because i was like you know you get to go to london and you get to go to brazil but um i really liked being out there in brazil and learning about the music that they have out there and latin american music and exploring Rio, which was amazing. Mm. We were there in January. So when it was like the dead of winter in New York, it was gorgeous over there. So it was a really nice little away, away time. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed, those were a couple of my, my favorite classes that I took there. But yeah, promotions and publicity, I think that's the name of the class that Michelle taught. And um, yeah, I really like that one. I hope she still teaches it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if she's still teaching it at the program, but obviously her company, Audible Treats, doing doing great things. Um, she's definitely a pioneer in the in the um, digital 
PR music space. And yeah, shout out to Michelle. She really represents the program very well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, that's great. And then, so, you know, with those classes um, and with the things you were doing in the program, if you had to pick one main takeaway you got from the program, what would you say it would be? Um, oh, just narrowing it down to one takeaway would be to always just stay abreast of what's going on <laughs> in the yeah, industry. Right. Like I, I got turned on to music business worldwide, which is, you know, a music industry trade yeah, publication. Sure. And I didn't know about it. I don't think I knew about it until I got to NYU. So being aware of what's going on, keeping your ear to the streets and thinking ahead or outside of the box too, and being flexible and, those things but yeah just being aware like awareness is you know very underrated i think in all facets of life but especially in this particular industry so yeah awareness and you know always being a student too which is something a theme that has been repeated in my life multiple times but it was a little bit more reinforced when i was there to always you know keep your like i was saying your the streets but also whatever you're doing in the industry you know, always be learning, always be growing, always be evolving, you know, because I don't think you can ever really learn too much. And if you think you had, then I think that's probably, I feel like that's probably incorrect, but I think that's also a sign that maybe you need to do a little bit more digging into whatever field it is that you're in. Cause I think the way things are so much in flux, you yeah, can't yeah. really ever know everything and nor should you, because that would just be incredibly boring. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, staying curious and staying aware. Those are the two things. Yeah. So in terms of, I want to back up a little bit, cause there's something I was yeah. going to, I almost forgot to ask you, you yeah. mentioned, you know, having to make this transition, you had gotten a job and you were transitioning into the program. Mm -hmm. So you, you talk about staying abreast, staying aware, kind of digging into what you want to do. You also talked about seeking counsel if you were going to go into this program. A yeah. lot of people that I've interviewed have had this interesting experience of they were doing one thing, they were really passionate about music and the business side, and then this program showed up and they're like, I have to pivot and talk to my family and the people I love about it and see what they say. And those stories are always interesting. So when you when you talk to your family, what was that like telling them, yeah, you know this job I have and everything? Yeah, I'm going to transition and go to this music business program. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. But basically, like I remember I got my acceptance letter. I think it was in February. And I think the first person I told was my dad. And um, he was like, oh, wow. He was like, um, he, so he was like, so what are you going to do? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, he's like, and to paraphrase, because I don't remember exactly what he said, but to paraphrase, he's like, well, baby, he's like, you know, this is what being an adult is. You have to make these decisions. He's like, you know, I'll support you either way, but, you know, this is oh, what man. it is now. <laughs> so I'm like, well, that's great pep talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, I spoke to him and, you know. Shout out to dad. <laughs> yeah, I spoke to both of my parents and they were both, you know, really supportive. They always have been. But I was just like, I need somebody to just tell me what to do. <laughs> and, you know, I was talking to friends of mine. Most of, like, one of my friends from high school was, like, really in favor of it. And I spoke to um, a lady who went to the same church as me. And this is before she moved away. And she was talking about, like, what a great opportunity it was. And, you know, she kind of gave me some really great, great things to think about, food for thought about, 
you know, thinking about what the long-term goals would be and if they weren't in alignment with what I was trying to do, which that was really insightful because I was like, well, my goals has have always been to, you know, be in the music industry and do soundtrack work. I had, and I think mm-hmm. I also said this in my admissions essay too, but I had so many growing up, I had so many interests that came and went throughout my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when I was a child and Space Jam came out, I wanted to play for the Bulls, not realizing they were a men's team. And then a little bit older, you know, when Legally Blonde came out, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then for a period of time there afterwards, I wanted to be an actress and went to theater camp and did all that. So I had a lot of things that came and went, but my my love of the relationship between music and movies and soundtracks that never wavered. And as a matter of fact, it kind of grew at the older I got, Oh, nice. you know, with the, the different TV shows that I grew up with and, you know, the more movies that I saw, I'm a huge cinephile. I mean, my first master's is in film. So, but, um, but yeah, all those interests kind of came and went, but that was the one constant. So when I finally figured out what the name of the job was um, and applied to NYU, yeah, it was at that really tricky time. I was like, of course, it would, this would be happening now. Like, couldn't this have happened a couple of years ago when it was low stakes and it wouldn't have been any question about whether or not it was going to go? But I realized it was a defining moment for my life. I was like, there's probably a parallel universe somewhere out there where I didn't go and I don't want to know anything about it. So I was <laughs> So I, was like, I went, I decided to go. I was like, you know, I'd regret not going. If I get denied a second time, if I try to apply, it would crush me. So really it was excitement and realizing it aligned with my goals, but also a little bit of fear that I would have made a mistake. And I just am very averse to those things. So, but yeah, I just, I was asking literally everybody about like feedback. I was, you know, they had me stressed out for those two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great to hear that you were, seeking so a lot of support and you got it and people were very invested in you making the decision that was right for you and you know that's similar to what some people have discussed previously um on the show and them making that that transition and what that was like with their parents so i always love to hear those stories yeah it's 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 great um yeah, I think that, and I wanted to kind of elaborate a little bit more on my favorite classes. The oh, internship please. is technically a class, but <laughs> uh, I mean, it technically is a class, but even though it doesn't really feel like it, but I also really enjoyed the internship experience, you know, because um, joining the program, part of the appeal for me was being able to finally get my foot in the door and get those internships for college credit that I couldn't yeah. do, you know, as a as a person not in school. So I realized that my first internship, I wanted it to be in the particular job field that I was going into. So that way I would know whether or not I had any talent in it and if I liked it. And I wanted to know that as soon as possible so that if that if it didn't agree with me and I didn't agree with it, I would have two other internship opportunities to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. Right. Because, you know, I did ask, you know, some, I don't remember who it was, somebody in the program was like, oh yeah, you know, I did my, the internship that I really, really wanted last. And I was like, oh, that's for me, that's risky. Cause knowing my luck, I'd be like, I'd save what I would think to be like, you know, the greatest internship and hopefully segue into a job. And then I realized that, oh, this isn't for me. I'm not good at it. It doesn't like me. I don't like it. And I just waited till the last minute to figure it out. Right. So I wanted, exactly. So I wanted to make it my, my first internship, which is how, you know, I was selected to be an intern at RCA in spring 2018. And I was the only intern I think they took in that particular department. And it was oh, great. Wow. I, um, yeah, they only took me and I loved it. I would have loved it more if it was paid, but, um, <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, definitely. Unpaid internship, but I loved it so much. My internship supervisor, Meg Horahan, she still works there, but she's on the West Coast now. But I loved her. The VP, Karen Lamberton, I think she's still there, was great. So they pretty much let me do anything that an internship could do. I wasn't like running errands and getting coffee. I was doing you know, looking at deals and filing them. I was like reaching out to music supervisors and coordinators. I remember I called, I think 400 of them on their, in their database to see whether or not they wanted physical copies of our music, our new music or like digital copies. So I remember oh, that wow. was like a long project that I, I mean, they had hundreds of names. So I was just kind of working through it. And a lot of those names, I was, you know, in such a, I was kind of fangirling because I was like, I recognize so many of these music supervisors' names and I'm like <laughs> nice. calling Loki, hoping that they don't answer the phone and they goes to voicemail because I don't have to, so I don't have to talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was so nervous, but, um, but I loved it. And so I realized that, okay, I like this, but like, does it like me back most importantly? But <laughs> it appeared to at a certain point when I was at RCA, they used to do the soundtrack for Insecure on HBO. And I think at that time they were getting ready to, or in the process of working on season three, I want to say, I'm not certain, but I um, asked my internship supervisor, I'm like, can I compile a playlist of songs that I think would like capture the essence of the show that might work? And you could tell me whether or not it's trash. So I know, <laughs> and she let me do it. So, you know, I still have the playlist on my Spotify and, you know, I put together some things. I know it's very, like all of the music is West Coast. Issa is really big on, you know, um, up and coming artists and stuff like right. that. So oh, I, yeah. So I put together a little playlist and sent it to her and she's like, this is amazing. And she was like, this is exactly the kind of tone we're looking for. And that was such great feedback to me. I was like, okay, so I like it. It likes me back and it looks like I might actually be good at this. So now I know, now I can oh, proceed doing other things and expanding on this, but I loved RCA and, um, it really laid the groundwork for my last internship, which was actually interning with the music supervisor, Joe Rudge, who was, was, I don't know if he still is, based out of Brooklyn. And we worked together on the Netflix original movie, Vampires vs. the Bronx. And that gave me my first off-screen credit. So that was oh, my excellent before I graduated. Yeah, it was a great time. I still have to see that movie. I will. Do not spoil it for me. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's fine. I, um, people really liked it when it came out. I was surprised because I was like, you know, not everything resonates with everybody. And right. um, I didn't really remember seeing too much promo for it, which worried me. So I was like, I don't even know what kind of numbers this is going to do. A lot, not like I would know anyway, because Netflix notoriously doesn't release their numbers. So, <laughs> but people seem to really like it. And I was really excited that, you know, some of the music that I had helped license made it into the final cut. And, um, but yeah, so I'm excited for you to see that whenever you do. Yeah, definitely. So no, that's, that's all kind of great stuff as you're, as you're making your way towards, I guess, mm -hmm. your first job outside of the program and interning so let's let's start to dig into that so so you're working with with joe rudge you've got the internship you're really getting just great real world experience how does that translate to to your first job outside of the program well interestingly enough i started my first job while I was technically still in school. So after I interned with Joe, or actually, no, I think it was while I was, I'm trying to re remember the timeline of events, but I started, ooh, excuse me, I started working at a production music company around December, 2018. And I was working there part-time and 
I started interning with Joe, I think the last semester in January, 2019. So I was doing both, but after I graduated, I continued to work there at Manhattan Production Music. I was there for roughly two years. So that was technically, I worked it while I was in school and I maintained that job while I was, after I graduated. So that was an experience for me because it's production music, something I didn't know anything about really. They didn't really talk too much to us about it while I was in school. So I kind of went in, you know, completely with a blank slate. And um, I was a, a, basically a licensing assistant, you know, the VP of the company, Ron Goldberg, you know, he would reach out to me and say, we have a producer that's looking for music for this, for this show or X, Y, and Z. And even people from universities who were trying to license music for like reels and stuff like that. So that was my first foray into the world of licensing music, like licensing production music. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of um, playlisting, you know, I would put together playlists in our database and, you know, try to narrow it down by like lyrics or like, you know, beats per minute and stuff like that. And a couple of one stops. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, a lot of playlisting and, you know, also Manhattan production music at the time was still sending out physical CDs. So I would be the person you know, sometimes responsible for putting together those CDs that we send out. I'm talking about like burning them in these, you know, circa 1995 CD towers and, (laughs) you know, burning them and, you know, doing like six at a time. And the noise they make when they start up is terrifying. It sounds like, you know, a device that's about to explode. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, putting those CDs together with the artwork and then, you know, weighing them and shipping them off to FedEx and, so yeah, it was, they had me doing, wow. you know, a couple of those things. Um, but yeah, I was there for roughly two years, but that was really the first thing that I did, you know, the first position that I maintained and had really when I, after I graduated and I was there until I want to say like March, 2020. And that's when I started working at ASCAP. Wow. All right. No, that's, it's so interesting because everything has this progression with you, it, at least from what you're telling us, all based on you, you had this idea and you always knew that you wanted to pursue music supervision. And almost, it's very, a lot of people don't get to that type of specificity early in their yeah. career, but, but you had it. So it's great to see how, how you're pursuing after that. Okay, so then let's dig in from that first job and the journey <laughs> from where you're at then to how you got to the NFL and some of the stuff in between. So let's start with this. Mm-hmm. We won't assume, you know, our listeners obviously are knowledgeable people, but I always try not to assume too much. So I like mm-hmm. to get into some basic stuff. There are a lot of people that hear songs on TV, um, hear songs on movies, etc., And they're like, how in the world does that happen? <laughs> and <laughs> I think people have a lot of ideas about how that goes down. Mm-hmm. You being our resident expert, uh-huh. when you say su- music supervision, yeah. People may think a lot of things. Talk to me about the basics of what you work on and how that stuff comes together. And then let's get into working at ASCAP and some of these other roles that you've had. Okay. So a music supervisor in its most simplest form is a person responsible for curating the soundtracks, clearing music and curating the soundtracks for TV, film. There's music supervisors for video games, advertisements, etc etc so um 
a lot of what's involved in that. And I've read so many different articles and books about how a lot of people think that it's like 90% creative and 10% business, but that's actually not completely correct. It's sometimes it can be 50, 50. I think it depends on the situation, but people would be surprised just how much paperwork and legal red tape you have to cut through because you're securing the rights to this music. So, uh, you know, right, right. the creative aspect is only part of it, but it's knowing the the business aspect of it, the legal aspect of it, which again, is one of the reasons why I decided to go back to school a second time. So yeah, a lot of people don't even realize, and you know, my parents for a while kept asking, so what is it that you're doing now? Or what is it that you want to do? <laughs> I mean, if I had a dollar for every time, my parents, my right. sisters. So I feel like they finally got it now because they haven't asked me in a while, but, um, but yeah, that's, you know, essentially the long and short of it. But yeah, that's a misconception that people think that, oh, you just listen to music all day and that was to be such a great creative job. And yeah, yeah, it is. But you, you know, there's a, like, you know, the other half of it is the legality of it all. Like you, you may love all this beautiful music. You may love a track, but you also are responsible for securing the, you know, the rights to that song, you know, legally to be able to use in whatever the format is. So that's the other side of it. It's like you, a lot of people don't even realize like how much, <laughs> how much, you know, paperwork and, you know, negotiations is required and all of that. And so, but yeah, I, um, you know, after I finished with Manhattan production music, I started working in ASCAP in March, 2020. And what's interesting was I was in, you know, I was in office being trained for a week before the shutdown happened. So I think I went through maybe a week, maybe even two weeks of training. And I had just completed training. And I remember the day I got back that Friday, which was in mid-March, I came back to my apartment in Sugar Hill. And, you know, I got all these emails about all of these businesses shutting down. And, you know, I had, you know, signed up to see this movie, you know, from the Black Student Alumni Network, and they had canceled it. And even my roommate at the time, because I was going home that weekend because my birthday is in mid-March. So I was due to go home and my roommate was like, I think you should take your work laptop just in case. And I'm glad I listened to her. So basically I was at ASCAP, I only was in office for two weeks, you know, at the, in the beginning of March and then never again. <laughs> so <laughs> I worked there, yeah, for a year. I came home and um, I worked there for, yeah, a solid year and having PRO experience a lot of people um, seem to be pretty impressed with that. And I think I had underestimated how valuable that um, experience is because yeah. there is a shocking amount of people, even industry veterans, who still don't completely grasp what a PRO is. Right. And a lot of people think it's a publisher. I'm like, well, no, we're not a publisher. We are basically like a, a collections agency. Right. which doesn't sound glamorous at all. But I was like, well, we're really just responsible for getting people, songwriters and, you know, rights holders to songs. We're responsible for getting them their money via public performances, be it like, you know, venues and, you know, restaurants and, you know, TV performances and stuff like that. So, you know, we're responsible for getting the money through all of these various public performances. And that experience, I was in a repertory department. So I was there for a year and yeah, it was, it really eye-opening because, you know, we were taught, you know, a bit about PROs in the music publishing class that I took, but it's another thing to like be immersed in it and working for one so you can see how it functions in real life. Um, but yeah, it was great. I was there a year and I, after that, I worked um, 
briefly for BMG production music. I was there for, I want to say a couple of months. Yeah. No, I want to say like late sometime at the beginning of 2021, I want to say mm-hmm. I was there just briefly, you know, doing, um, working in their production music. So I was going, I went from one library, then worked at another, but BMG's production music was so much bigger than Manhattan's. Right. Um, so. and, and, and different aspects mm-hmm. uh, just for the listeners, maybe we zero in on that a little bit, just mm-hmm. working at ASCAP or PRO versus working at BMG. Yeah. Like asking, yeah. So PRO is a pub, uh, performing rights organization. And it's like basically what I just said, you know, you're, it's a collections agency responsible for making sure that rights older rights holders and songs, you know, get paid for public performances. Production music is music that, you know, you may hear in TV, like in the background on the TV show, music that is not always like, you know, recognizable, you know, like any song that you might see like on the billboard chart, and sometimes, more often than not, it's cheaper than your, quote, traditional music because it's production music. Sometimes it's bespoke. Sometimes it's music specifically made for a purpose. Like sometimes I did encounter in BMG, we would get a request for music that had a certain sound or feel. And if we didn't hear it, then we would have the musicians, musicians that were under the roster, you know, make something like that. So that's essentially what it is. Um, but yeah, their their catalog is so much bigger. So I had to, that was a bit of adjustment because I had been with Manhattan and kind of gotten used to them and BMG is humongous. So, <laughs> so I was there for a few months and then I segued into working at a company called Octave Group. And basically they had, there were a company and I was working with them kind of as a licensing assistant there too, where they license music for like retail stores and, you know, restaurants and stuff like that. So I worked mm-hmm. there from, I want to say, um, like August, 2021 until I think maybe November. And, you know, it was a con, I think it was a contracted job. Cause a lot of the jobs in the early days of pandemic were like that. Right. So, yeah. So, and I, you know, at the time you really couldn't be choosy. So I was there for a few months and I was getting ready to extend my contract, but I saw that the NFL had posted an opening for somebody in their music licensing department. And interestingly enough, I had initially applied to the NFL for that position back in, I think, 2015, after I graduated with my first master's, I had seen, I think, the job on LinkedIn and I applied, but I also followed up my application with like an in-person visit. I remember I took like my resume and the very first business card that I had, and I just took it upon myself to drive over there and see if I could like meet the music supervisor. Her name is Christine. And she wasn't there at the time, but I remember I left my resume with the front desk and I never heard back from them, but I never got the job. So when I did the interview in November, 2021, and I, I think it was my second or third round interview and I actually spoke with Christine. She's like, yeah, I remember your name from when you applied way back when. She's like, I remember you came into the office and I wasn't there and I had missed you, but I remember your name from when you had applied originally. I was like, wow, because that was mm, six years ago at that point. So <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Wow. I was like, oh yeah, but the fact that you even remember, she's like, yeah, like that name sounds familiar. And I remember you had dropped off your resume. Like, yeah, yeah, I did. And I, that's impressive that you even remember that. But it's, you know, amazing how you may think you're denied an experience, but really it's just delayed. 
So yeah. yeah, so I started there in November 2021 and we are still going. <laughs> yes. So so this is this is so this is so interesting. First and foremost, funny um small world and how things overlap. I also am an alum of BMG. I worked yeah. in the copyright department. Cool. Um, years, a few years before you. And I also worked for a company more on the sales side uh, that um, created and did background music, audio, si um, audio messaging and digital signage for retail and hospitality brands. It was a company called Startle. So I've also worked in that space. So... It's interesting how people from the program have these over, all have these overlaps with oh, these yeah. different companies we've worked in. You know, it's a small industry, small business. Um, but okay, so when you talk about working at the NFL, and thank you for yeah. really uh, kind of highlighting that journey. When you <laughs> talk about working at the NFL, a lot of people they're watching. You know, they're watching their sport. They're watching sports. They're watching you know a TV show. And they would love to, maybe they're artists, right? And yeah. you're always maybe getting these emails or your friends are hitting you up because we have artist friends from the program or just artists mm -hmm. we know that are like, how do I get my music in these places? <laughs> you know, you get that question all the time. Yeah. So we're going to, yeah. you have the floor. I want you to address those folks specifically. They're like, Logan, I got 10 fire songs. <laughs> I, I want to see if they can get onto these various platforms. What do what do I need to do? Ooh. To them, you say what? Okay, to them I say first and foremost, make sure that if you are pitching your own music that it makes sense for what you're pitching it for. Because what I've seen so often and what I've heard is, you know, people like people in my position or music supervisors get these submissions for music and they're not tailored to specifically what that person is working on, what show, what film. It's just some people are so hungry to get their music out there. They're not really bothering to do their homework. So first and foremost, like, it's like, you know, know what you're doing before you do it, you know, know who the music supervisor, know what they're working on, know the music coordinator. And I do get a lot of people, you know, even on LinkedIn, you know, reaching out to me, musicians about their music and, you know, I can't keep up with a lot of it, but really it's doing your homework is just, I think the biggest thing, that's the biggest complaint that a lot of people have is that they get, first of all, unsolicited music. You know, I'm, I don't even ask for a lot of music many times. I mean, I've done it maybe a couple of times, but some people will just send me stuff unsolicited, which, you know, I understand the ethos behind it, but it can just be a lot, especially when it's a lot of people. Right. So tailoring your approach, doing your homework, making sure that you have all your metadata, making sure you have you know, the MP, the best MP3s and even WAV files. We ask for a lot of WAV files from, you know, mm -hmm. our rep set record labels for our producers so they can kind of play around with the different music that we use. So having it available in multiple formats, you know, having it tagged appropriately, you know, just small things that people probably wouldn't think of, but it actually really, really matters. And it can make a lot of difference between somebody actually listening to your music and hearing you out and just, you know, treating your email like spam which oh. unfortunately happens a lot, but, but yeah, it's, it's a lot, it's just doing your homework and being thorough and concise and, you know, just, um, and making sure you have all your ducks in a row, but those are the two things and just know the person you're reaching out to know what they're working on and making sure that you pick the best possible music to, you know, pitch to that person, make sure that, you know, it's that whatever they're working on is represented well in the music that you're sending mm -hmm. them. 
you know, making sure that it's available in the best formats, MP3, you know, waves, and also making sure like it's tagged, making sure you have all of the information, you know, like your publishing and all the writers and stuff like that. Just come correct, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, that helps a lot, definitely. definitely. Right. So, yeah, tag with the right information. And then just to zero in on this a little bit, tag with the right information, make sure that all of the, all of the splits and credit credits are ready to go and that everyone knows, okay, this is the ownership of the song and all of that stuff. That's what you're referring to? Yeah. And please, especially the splits, dear God, please make sure that all of your splits are like agreed upon and set because we do occasionally come into issues with that. Like, I think just last week, you know, there was a big debate about splits over a particular song and we were emailing so many different labels and, you know, they all had very different information and it's just, you know, music supervisors and people like music coordinators like the path of least resistance. Right. And so if something is really difficult and, you know, we kind of have to basically do what is really your job and trying to figure out, you know, the splits and stuff like that, you know, people are going to be less inclined to use your music. So like I was saying, just come correct and, you know, no, no, you know, excuse my French, but like, know your shit and just get it, making sure that it's packaged in a way that it has everything that is applicable to what the music supervisor or coordinator is working on and making sure the details are correct. And yes, please make sure those splits are like set and ready and all of that. But yeah, it's, it's basically, that's the bulk. That's a decent chunk of it that a lot of people drop the ball. on. Yeah. And Logan, you can correct me for those of you listening. When we talk about splits of a song and the ownership of a song, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to, to have that stuff or have a picture of that, of how that's gonna go. If you're an independent artist and you're thinking, oh, how do I get my music on onto these shows? You know, you wanna have that stuff in order. So the licensing folks and the sync folks and the supervision folks uh, don't have to play project manager for you. you. You project manage your own admin work and make sure that anything they would ask you so people can get paid accordingly is already done. Exactly, yeah. it's. You know, that, like I was saying, we like the path of least resistance. You know, it's this particular job, people may not realize it, can be so just time consuming and there's a lot involved. And, and you, know, you can get sued if you, if the yeah, right, exactly. oh, yeah, you don't, and, and yeah. you don't want to get sued if the paperwork isn't correct on a song and someone comes a calling. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize it could be pretty high stakes and there's a lot of moving pieces yeah. and, it could be pretty fast. So, you know, it really behooves you to make sure that our job is as, you know, as simple as it can possibly be. And that just basically means that you need to come correct. Um, I can't say that enough, but yeah, that's, that's the bulk of it. So yeah, as long as you do that and you know, you're consistent about it and you stay knowledgeable about the different projects that different music supervisors and coordinators are doing, even producers, you know, staying, you know, knowledgeable and making sure that, you know, you have all your ducks in a row. That is honestly going to be a big plus in your favor because a lot of people do not do that. Right. Well, so Logan, let me play the role of um, growing musician, indie musician that doesn't have a label or, or team behind them that focuses on this stuff. They might say, well, Logan, how do I do my homework? You know, the NFL is a huge entity. They have the, now they have the NFL network. They have, you know, 
multiple programs, games, or basically like television shows. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of content to fill. How do I know which music to send and use for which producer or which show? Because that can be a big undertaking and even not just for the NFL, but mm -hmm. for movies in general. Like, is there anywhere I can go to understand and do my research to know what people are looking for? To those people, you say what? Well, I would start like, you know, you know, I always say, you know, Google is free and ready, readily accessible. So if you want to find out what people are looking for, the NFL, just so many different productions. We have Hard Knocks, we have 30 for 30, we have Peyton's Places, Eli's Places. We have, I mean, there's so much content. So you need to figure out what exactly, what project that you want to pitch for. If it's Hard Knocks, if it's going to be, you know, a quarterback, the Netflix show that just came out, you know, um, I think it was on Friday. That's now in the top 10 on Netflix that I worked on. You know, so knowing, you know, those projects, kind of getting a feel for the music they use and reading who the music team is on that. And so you can kind of see who, you know, who you would be corresponding with should your music be chosen. A lot of the music that we use are people either signed to like, you know, not only big labels, but like indie labels or people who are um, signed to like, you know, companies that, um, represent them and you know send us you know sampler samplers of their music like playlists and stuff like that so i would also look into those com those companies those they tend to be smaller companies who are more boutique and you sign with them and they will help you um get your music place we get a lot of you know submissions from companies like that in addition to like the bigger labels too but yeah i would say start with you know figuring out what it is that you want to pitch for and what the particular sound of it is and then going into your repertoire as a musician and putting together maybe a playlist of your own music and labeling it as such and you know like i was saying before make sure all the details are together so that you know should you decide to reach out or you know have you sign with somebody who will you know push your music for you and reach out you know, that they have all of the necessary information because nobody wants to do the whole back and forth thing about things that are really your responsibility. But yeah, I would say look into the projects that people are working on, especially, you know, the NFL is a huge company. So seeing the projects that you think your music would be good for and then creating playlists for different sounds, different vibes, and making sure that you have all of the information that they would request for. But yeah, that's what I would recommend to start. Yeah, that makes that's valuable information and makes a lot of sense. In terms of let's let's talk a little bit about, about the the actual process internally. Mm -hmm. So you get a song and you're like, oh, this song fits perfectly to X movie we have coming out or documentary on 30 for 30 or X X show. Can you give the listeners insight into okay, now that we we think this works? And you know the paperwork is moving forward. What's the process between that process, uh, that decision right there, and it actually playing on the show? Well, so what happens is initially, you know, sometimes more often than not, our producers will reach out to us saying that they're interested in certain songs, and then we go in and, you know, if it's a song that we haven't used before, you know, I will. I had to do this just recently for the upcoming season of Hard Knocks because it was just announced that we're doing the Jets. So. This past week, you know, we there were a few songs that a lot of songs actually that we hadn't used because they were all new 
Um, the labels have sent us all new unreleased stuff. So, you know, the first thing I always do is I go to the PRO websites and I look through their repertoire. That's ASCAP, that's BMI, that's CSAC, that's GMR, which are all of the PROs in America. And I look up the songs so I can see who the songwriters are, the publishers are, and all that information. And, you know, once I do that, because sometimes I can take a while, depending on how many songs you're working on. And if the songs are really new, sometimes that information will not be on there, which I did run into that um, last week. But um, that's where I always start. You know, if we don't have the song, if it's something we haven't licensed before, I always look in the PROs to see, you know, who the writers and the publishers are. And if, even if I can't find them on the PRO website, sometimes I'll look on Wikipedia. Sometimes I'll look in the song credit section on Spotify and Tidal. And, you know, between my, myself and my team, we kind of pull together and we make it work. So that's the first thing you do is research. And then what we do afterwards is then we start to draft the quote requests. So that's the official, you know, document that you send out where you're interested in the license, licensing somebody's song or somebody's, you know, songs, if it's plural. Um, and you start off with, you know, an initial quote, you have all the terms there, like if it's going to be for a year or two years, how much of the song, a scene description, if it's applicable, and of course the name of the program and, you know, the MFN clause, of course, which is always there, the most favored nations. And we go from there. And so we submit it to the necessary parties. So that would be for the master side, that would be the label or labels. And then we send them to the publishers because you have to clear from both sides. The You have to clear from the record label and the publishers. And yeah, and eventually, right. assuming that everybody signs off on it and agrees and what have you, then we move it into the approve folder on our drive. And sometimes, you know, our producers will, sometimes they'll use the song and sometimes they won't. So, you know, we run into sometimes we'll clear a whole bunch of music for a particular season of a show and a lot of it doesn't get used. Maybe only a couple songs get used and they chose to do library music instead or, you know, or sometimes it's the opposite. So it really just depends on it depends on the project and it depends on, you know, the producers that are involved. But that's what I did this past week was, you know, send out the quote requests. I did that on Friday for, you know, the new season of Hard Knocks. Right. for the jets um but yeah assuming you know if everybody agrees everybody's in agreement we've located all the necessary parties and everybody has approved and the song is fully cleared if the song is actually used then what happens afterwards and one of my coworkers does this i do it occasionally but he does it more often is we send the license request like okay the song was used congratulations you need to send us an invoice and like a w4 for the song and Right. yada yada and then it goes to accounts payable and then you know we get this person paid unfortunately what i've encountered a lot is that that tends to be where people drop the ball a lot mm -hmm. getting, which is crazy to me because yeah talk about it and i was like isn't that the point don't you want to get paid like i am <laughs> i'm helping to still get people paid from placements from two years ago oh wow it's, it's wild like you know we've been working on it steadily for like the past few months and we've almost completely resolved all the outstanding licenses from 2021 but yeah there's you know people that you know we've licensed music from last you know in 2021 and last year that we're still trying to get paid and we have to like chase behind them to get them paid i'm like this is wild to me i you wouldn't have to chase behind me i would reach out to you first absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. and so, then um yeah yeah, yeah go ahead no, no, that's it. I was just, it's mind boggling. That's all. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Are there certain 
um, I'm, I'm curious about this. And I, I mean, I have my own thoughts and I've heard things, but I will let you, the expert, speak on this first. Mm-hmm. Are there certain genres that are harder to follow up or or, or harder to deal with than others? Um, hip-hop can be pretty dicey to clear just because, yeah. you know, especially- the sampling and all that. Exactly, especially if it's an older song. Like I, mm-hmm. one of our producers had asked me to clear uh, Bring the Pain by Method Man for a um i can't remember the name of the production but it was back in the fall and i'm like okay i'm 99 percent certain that this is an older hip-hop song and so you know I looked it up. huh yeah I, no i said of course definitely oh yeah yeah exactly so i'm like i looked it up and it's like i think it's from method man's like debut solo album i'm like okay yes yes it's from T- yeah it's from it's from the Takao album I believe. yeah and i was like okay this album's almost 30 years old. I'm like, yeah, this is probably gonna be hard to do because, you know, like you said, the sampling and the unclear sampling. I was telling, I teach adjunct at a local university. So I was telling my students that, you know, the problem with licensing hip hop, but particularly older hip hop is a lot of times because, you know, the sampling and they weren't legally cleared, trying mm-hmm. to get, trying to use it now, a lot of times you can't do it. You know, there were a few songs. There was a song from the Space Jam soundtrack that I really wanted to license that we just were not able to do because of the unclear sample. And it really broke my heart. So for this one, I was like, I don't even know if we're going to get this one because of that issue. So, you know, what will happen is we will reach out to the label and see if they have a sample free version, which can be a good thing, but it can, you know, being maybe not so good if the sample free version sounds radically different than the version that people are familiar with. So luckily we were able to get a sample free version that to me didn't sound that much different than the original version. And we ended up using it. So, but yeah, it can be really tricky because it's happened so many times. I think it happened um, maybe even a month or two ago. I can't really remember what project I was working on, but I had reached out and they were like, yeah, this song is not licensable. And, you know, then you have to run back to the producer and tell them like, yeah, we can't license the song. And it could be really disappointed because they've already kind of started working and editing with that song in mind. And it's like, you know, you don't want to like fall in love with it. It's because, you know, if you've been working that long enough, you should know that older hip hop is, you know, not always, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. But luckily for Bring the Pain, you know, it worked out pretty well, but it's, it does, yeah, hip hop can be really tricky. And then, you know, last summer, our preseason for Hard Knocks, I think, was Detroit. So we ended up licensing a few Eminem songs. And, you know, even that, even that was a bit tricky because, you know, some of the songwriter splits were still in debate. I'm like, well, how is that possible? Because some of the songs are like 20 years old at this point. Right. Like, why is there still debate about, you know, the particular songwriter splits but um yeah because it's never confirmed <laughs> yeah I, yeah so but yeah, yeah hip-hop can be hip-hop can be really tricky because the sampling and all the writers and there's so many cooks in the kitchen so many people you need to whose pr- approval you need and the unclear samples of it also hip-hop can be really tricky yeah um it's so funny too where understanding you talk about do your homework understanding um, the the genre itself and how the sounds are created even based on region. Like you might have a different problem if you're going to the West Coast where, where yeah, they were sampling, but they were using a lot of original instrumentation mm-hmm. on a lot of that, on a lot of those songs. So if you have one writer and producer, it might be easier to clear versus the East Coast where, you know, it's real sample heavy, boom bop, boom bap or what have you, it's going to be harder to clear. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that tends to be an issue that we see a lot with um with hip hop music. But um but yeah, that's but it's always really satisfying though if we if it ends up working in our favor. Because there are, you know, especially with the Method Man song, I had no faith that we were going to get that. I was <laughs> completely resigned to, you know, saying, no, oh, we're not going to get this, you know. But so to my surprise, you know, the sample free version isn't that much different than the original. And, you know, oh, it, okay. ended up, it ended up working. So, but yeah, it's always a triumph when things work out, you know, in your favor, especially when that's concerned, because that's not always the case. So. <laughs> yes. Oh, also glad, glad that it, glad that it worked out. Shout out to the method man. Method's a legend and i um, glad to see him doing this thing on power. He's a good actor as well. Oh yeah. Very much so. <laughs> so it's good to, it's good to do that. Um, I like to ask my guests these next two questions. This will be our last two questions. Mm -hmm. What are you curious about right now? You know, I just thought of a good answer for this question because I, I know I'd seen the question. I was like, I don't even know how to answer it, but now I know. <laughs> I'm curious to know what the, the various strikes going on are going to mean for people in the music industry. Because we were talking about this at work, mm, like, you know. Good now with the writers on strike and now with SAG, I was like, what is that going to mean for us? And also, you know, music supervisors are unfortunately not part of a union, music supervisors and music coordinators. I understand the Guild of Music Supervisors has been hard at work trying to get them unionized to get us, you know, music, you know, music professionals, you know, unionized. And so I'm wondering, you know, what the long-term implications and what the future holds for you know, the strike in relation to us and also, you know, this industry in particular and, you know, our potential to unionize and, you know, also the AI of it all. So I'm curious about a lot of those things. We're in a very interesting time period right now. And I completely stand with the people who are on strike. I was reading about the residuals that people from Orange is the New Black get and people from P Valley getting like $5 checks and it's, insane oh, so i definitely stand with people you know standing up for the rights and you know appropriate fair compensation but i do yeah i do wonder what that's going to mean for this industry and also you know the music supervisors and music coordinators you know trying to unionize which they've been trying to do um there's a, i think there's a petition or there was a petition to sign to get them unionized so i wonder what you know how that's going to be impacted and also you know, with AI too, what's going to happen with that in terms to the industry. So yeah, those are my top three things that I'm curious about. Yeah, those are good ones. Um, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, how that all, how that all plays out. And since the writer, since the writers in music are writing literally for other people to create the art, I guess it's a little different than writing a film that's getting played out and the way that happens. But yeah, mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that, how that translates. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I continue to watch and just kind of see, because, you know, people have said that SAG and, you know, the writers have not been on strike together. I don't think since the sixties. So it's really, you know, yeah. it, something to really be watchful about but yeah that's you know i'm interested in seeing on how everything unfolds <laughs> yeah 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 and then from the union standpoint because there are so many independent musicians that mm -hmm. yeah yeah it just it just hits different in terms of in terms of how that will play out so i guess we'll see but yeah oh, well, no that's great no go ahead i'm sorry i didn't want to interrupt 
Oh, that no, that's it. That's just, you know, that's what I was kind of looking up, you know, before this interview started to kind of see, you know, what the, you know, the strike, you know, updates are and stuff like that. And, you know, so it's just, you know, interesting time. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. So if you, if you look at it too, you know, I think the, there, it, there will be some reckoning in terms of songwriters how much you're paid, particularly from a streaming aspect, but it's just very slow going. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how that will play out, but it'll be, like you said, interesting to watch. Um, and then my final question to you mm-hmm. is if you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day that you started the program, what would you say to yourself? Uh, my first thing would be like, you know, be really intentional with setting and sticking to a budget because, you know, I didn't realize i mean i knew new york was expensive but i was just like you know i went there and just didn't really properly plan for that (laughs) so that would be the first thing to do is like to you know i have a brother-in-law who's really good with that kind of thing so that's probably the first thing that i would have done and maybe like you know had you know my mom kind of helped keep me accountable by looking over my account but that would be my first thing and then my second thing would be to um to maybe not worry so much about doing everything the right way. Cause I think when I first got there, I was like, okay, I got into this program with the school that I never thought I was going to get into. Now I have to like show and like prove that, you know, I am worthy of being here. And so that means I kind of have to, you know, push myself harder than I did in my last program and, you know, just, you know, do everything you know, the best to my ability, which is never a bad thing, but you know, your why can, you know, kind of ruin the vibe of it. So, but yeah, just, you know, telling myself to have a little bit more grace and, you know, to have a plan, but just not freak out about it. And just to have more confidence in myself because, you know, you know, I was like, you know, you got the acceptance and you're here. So obviously they see something in you. So just, you know, do what you do, you know, your talent and everything has led you to this point. So continue to just follow that, follow that intuition. So those would be the things. I think that's a great way to end the show. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing more. Yeah, th- th- that's great. Nothing more um, needs to be said about that. Everyone, that is Logan Regis, uh, music licensing coordinator for the NFL. Um, Logan, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's been great. You have really enlightened us and informed us about you know, music supervision, licensing, and that world, uh, I think our listeners are definitely uh, much more educated and knowledgeable than they were when they started this podcast. And that is because of you. So thank you for coming on. You know, it was useful and entertaining information for everybody listening. (laughs) But yeah, this was a lot of fun. So thank you for having me on. No, first of all, you, this is what we do. You come on and you tell your story, no matter how long it takes. And I think we got a lot of good stuff here and no, I'm grateful that I was, I was able to give you your first podcast interview. So (laughs) that's good. That's good stuff right there. Um, everyone, (laughs) thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for tuning into the show. Uh, you can follow me on Bryce B 88 at Twitter. Um, I will have more episodes coming soon, but until then, Take care and be well. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of People from the Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show. 